everybody. Welcome to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug. Over here is Bug, and we are once again missing our good friend Tug. Yeah, we are, but he's you know he's doing fun things at work tonight, so he'll be back with us soon enough. He'll be back with us soon enough. I'm not that concerned. Sentence. So let's hope that's true. <laughs> Rooting for him. <laughs> For sure. But we are certainly going to have fun on our show today. We have Looks like plenty of things to talk about. Crazily enough, the news piece. It's just, uh, uh-oh, am I, am I causing problems? Am I you lagging are, too hard? You are lagging in the most inconvenient spots because it's like every time I start to say you're having issues, you start you cut right back in. Wow. <laughs> well, we are going to do our best today then i have no idea what's going on uh some crazy thunderstorms happened in my area earlier the power cut out and things have been kind of hectic ever since so we'll see (laughs) those of you Uh, that are tuning in for uh for the american athletic conference uh preview we will get to that but we got a couple of segments we want to get to first and uh i know doug you're probably trying to say that i just want to make sure we got that out front uh, in case people are filtering in, don't didn't hear that or know how the show runs normally. So we we do welcome all of our our new viewers here today. And uh, what do you say we get started with a? Uh, we want to get started with kind of an interesting story. It's kind of college news, so it's a little out of order. <laughs> I think this is very fun, and I would love to start with this. So this tweet, I have no idea who Matt Brown is, but shout out to Matt Brown uh, for doing this research. With the Los Angeles schools being added to the Big Ten, everybody's been talking about how crazy it is that, for example, UCLA is going to be playing Rutgers in all these different sports. UCLA to Rutgers is almost the same distance as Rutgers to Reykjansbær, Iceland. That is insane, and I love that. I love that stat. That is my kind of research right there. Data analytics at its finest. That is like, that is right in your wheelhouse. It's an amazing stat, but also a very, very useless stat. So it's right. Exactly. It's right in here. Exactly. Well, that just means that Big Ten soccer needs to be adding some, some, and you in the Big Ten. (laughs) Some Icelandic teams. Yes perfect (laughs) but i guess let's go ahead and get started with some news what you do so the first thing let's do it uh, of course of course has to be the baker mayfield trade which has finally happened and it's not where we thought it was going to be it's not what i what i threw out there last week it was a completely different team yeah um Came out very late in the process that apparently Seattle had almost no interest the entire time, which is insane to me. Why? I guess they want to roll with Drew Locke. I I don't know. You got to wonder what the Browns were asking, I guess. (laughs) I guess. But they weren't asking too much because all they're getting from the Panthers is a conditional fifth round pick in 2024. (laughs) Oh, my God. And, and... The Browns are paying ten and a half mil of Baker's salary. The Panthers are only paying five million dollars. And this is the Browns and Panthers play sweet. week one. 
this is a sweet deal for Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have the number one overall pick. I don't know how you ever say no to this if you're the Panthers. Uh, You have the number one overall pick and the number three overall pick from the same draft in your quarterback room. Surely you're going to hit with one of them, right? Plus a worse version of Baker Mayfield that you drafted this year. (laughs) It's all coming out. Panthers. Oh man, this is uh oh, this man. is gonna be interesting. Travis, Not like they're gonna win any games anyway, but still. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. So yeah, the, the Panthers seemed like one of the destinations that people were talking about from the start, right? Just because Sam Darnold's so bad and that last year was a real proof can't win games mm-hmm. on the back of Sam Darnold alone. At the same time, there were other options that seemed to make more sense and everything started getting whittled away. Like the Colts was a one that jumped to mind instantly when the news broke that he was going to be on the market. Then they got Matt Ryan. I thought the Seahawks would be in it. Same as you. They got Drew Locke and apparently they like Geno Smith too. Apparently. Apparently. So, I don't know what's going on, man. It, this it doesn't. This make is wild. I guess the Panthers are the only team with any interest, because how in the world are the Browns making this deal? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> this story is about your fame. I don't know if you heard about this, but the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, actually suggested that instead of the Bears moving to the property, they just purchase Arlington Heights. They go ahead and turn Soldier Field into a dome, which do you actually have enough room to do that? I um, I don't good luck with I that. don't know. And here's the bigger thing. I'm pretty sure Soldier Field lost his historic landmark status when they did the, the upgrades back in two thousand or so. Mm-hmm. Travis, we'll get to your question here in a minute. Uh and I I'm not entirely opposed to it. I know there's a lot of purists that, you know, want to talk about bear weather and playing in the elements last part of Chicago Bears football. And that's cool and everything. Um, But honestly, that stadium needs a lot of work. If they go to a dome, they will have to go back to turf, which they desperately need up there. And third, like right. this is, this is the problem for the bears is that soldier field is owned by the city of Chicago. So if they want to do it, they're going to do it. So the Bears haven't really had a lot of control there. If Chicago does go ahead and turn this into a dome, I still don't know that convinces the Bears to stay. I think they'd rather have their own place, their own facility in Arlington Heights. It just makes more sense. There's all kinds of talks about different things that they'd put up there, including some minor league baseball, like put a minor league baseball stadium on that property as well. So it to me, cool. Thanks. Thanks, Mayor Lightfoot, but I don't, I don't see this keeping the Bears in Chicago, honestly. I think they're they're bound for Arlington Heights. Well, based on what we saw with the Rams, I would say this is the best path for the Bears to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Get a stadium that can can host the Super Bowl, host a draft, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. And I I would also probably assume that if they do build at Arlington Heights and go that route, they'll probably build a dome anyway. So at the end of the day, I think Chicago bears will be playing in a dome in the next 10 years or so. Wow. I don't know that I like that. I but don't hate it. 
I don't hate it as much as I thought I would. I'm coming around to it a lot more, okay. especially okay. considering Soldier Field and its state. But before we move on to college news, we do have a, a viewer question from Travis Pylon over on Facebook. Do you guys think AB plays at all this year? Anyone take a chance at him on him at this point? I sure wouldn't. Ooh. Man, you know, he had he had the perfect setup in tell you Tampa that. Bay. And that's what doesn't make sense, right? I, unless there was just something so awful and horrendous with Bruce Arians that he absolutely just didn't want to play. I don't know. I, I think the I think he needs help uh, that he's not going to get if he keeps playing football. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't mind him in Chicago, honestly. What's the worst that happens? He leaves and the Bears are back at square one in the wide receiver room. Who cares? I mean, I guess. I think I might have lost Doug here, which is not good because I don't know what this first note means for college news, but I think we need to move on to college news. Are you there? I see your eyes moving. I think I'm here. <laughs> I think I'm here. Oh, man. This is, this is a loss for podcast days. <laughs> Dude, this storm yeah, is so, kicking um, ass right now. So here's the deal with college news. There's nothing legitimately happening in the world of college football. Um, at the same time, a lot of things are happening. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. So nothing legitimate has come out about any more conference realignment, any kind of, I mean, I don't know what else you would even want to have speculated on at this point. Do we talk about the college football playoff breaking away from the NCAA? Do we talk about the potential merger of the FCS and the group of five? I mean, all these ideas have been floated by various different groups. Nothing. Nothing has legitimately happened yet. At the same time, we have to talk about some of this stuff. So mm-hmm. after we got off the podcast last week, the Big Ten apparently said no to Oregon and Washington. They did officially ask for admittance to the Big Ten, and the Big Ten said, mm, no, your, your market's kind of mid, actually. <sighs> <laughs> It is, but I feel like Oregon has such a national reach. Right. I don't. I, I feel like that's a tough one. I understand Washington. Yeah. I do. But Oregon, I mean, that one, ugh, that's got to hurt. Oregon's that got that Phil Knight money. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <clears throat> so perception is apparently that the Big Ten sees Oregon and Washington as probably worth about 60 to 70 a year on a media payout basis, I guess, uh, which is a little bit less than the roughly $100 million a year expected payout the Big Ten's going to be looking at. So they can't bring in schools that are going to bring that down at this point. They already have the likes of Purdue and Rutgers and Northwestern, which are going to bring that down. Right. There's plenty of teams that are going to bring that down already. You, If you're going to add, you only add schools that are going to elevate. So I kind of understand that argument. At the same time, what else is there, right? Obviously, obviously the answer is Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Does Notre Dame even care about joining a conference? According to them, they would rather stay independent. 
I don't know if the money's enough to entice them. I think the writing's on the wall as far as staying independent, though. I mean, we're staring down the barrel of two super conferences completely breaking away from the NCAA, and then Notre Dame's going to be left sitting there like, oh, can you let us in? And I would love nothing more than to see everybody be like, nah, we're good. We're at capacity. You, you missed your shot. It, it's, there is. it is really getting to a ridiculous point with Notre Dame. This whole tradition thing that they keep <clears throat> clinging to, I, I don't I don't get it. And I, I have a gut feeling they're going to get left out in the cold in this. So there is a legitimate conversation of the Big Ten also adding Stanford right now, which would mean all but one of Notre Dame's historic rivals is in the Big Ten. Right, only leaving out Navy. Yeah, Navy's never going to join. If that were to happen, right, Navy, it's not even an option for either side. But if if that were to happen and the Big Ten were to add Stanford – it could very well be the case the Big Ten says you are not allowed to schedule Notre Dame unless they are a conference member. And if that's the case, Stanford, USC, Michigan State, the other one, Purdue, all historic rivals that they just are not allowed to play anymore. I would love that. I think that it might be the only legitimate way to force them to join a conference. Yeah, I don't know that money alone does it. See, but then that kind of leaves them with having to have an ACC schedule, and they're already basically an ACC member, so maybe that just pushes them the other way, and they're like, yeah, maybe tradition isn't that big of a deal, and we don't need all our rivals either. We'll just join a comp. I mean, if you're going to lose one, might as well lose them all, right? Man. That's terrible. I hate that. (laughs) I don't like that answer. It's kind of what we're looking at, though. So the other point with Oregon and Washington, though, you have to consider Oregon State and Washington State and what happens to those programs and how will that that work uh, dividing up the two in-state schools. Now, obviously, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to be in different conferences now. It happens. It's not normal, and especially for the state of Oregon and the state of Washington, they've been very clear about wanting to keep them together. Mm-hmm. There's no way in the world the Big Ten is going to take Oregon State right now. No. No, and I don't see the Big Ten wanting to take Wazoo either. No way. They're not worth it. I mean, Washington is worth more than Washington State, and Washington isn't worth enough, apparently. So yeah, <laughs> there's just it's creating a really weird divide even among traditional partners like that. It's kind of crazy seeing everybody scramble for where the money's going to end up, and I don't know what it's going to turn into. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't it, know where I'm pain- heading with that thought. It's just it's crazy. It's painful too when you look at what the Big Twelve is doing. They're trying to get Arizona, ASU, Colorado, and Utah. Right. I, the other thing I got to look at here, too, is is the Pac-12 just completely dead? Because I don't see any type of additions. If they lose those four teams, they're done. I don't know who they could add or what would be worth it at that point because the Big 12 is going to be that much further ahead of you. Then you got the Mountain West and the American, who we'll, we will talk about more in depth, the American here later. They're going to be sitting there saying, hey, come join us. And that's where I think we're going to see the power struggle kind of happen 
it will make a hundred percent more sense for all these teams to join the Mountain West. But I think I think the American has a little bit more prestige. Now, the other issue you run into is does the American have the money to bring these schools in and afford the travel? I don't know the answer to that, which put tilts it into the Mountain West's favor. And I think in two years, three years, five years, whenever all of this you know takes effect and all the dust is settled, the Pac-12 will be no more, and either the Mountain West and the American will be that fifth power conference if anybody even cares to have power five anymore. We might just be going down to a power four. That's pretty much what we've been at anyway. Almost feels more like we're headed for a power three. Yeah. And I would say the Big 12 has put itself in a good position to eat some remaining ACC teams as well. The only issue with instability with the Big 12 was Texas. right? Yes. And with Texas gone, that changes the entire equation for the Big 12. That was the entire sticking point. The negotiations always would break down because Texas threw a fit. So now Texas is gone. If you were to bring in the Arizona schools, Colorado, Utah, also be bringing in BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Well, now you're in the geographic region of, say, a Virginia Tech, of a Duke, of a, I mean, I don't know if North Carolina be a Big 12 school in the future, right? You're in the footprint of a Miami or a Florida State, whichever one gets left out of the SEC if it expands again. So I don't see a way where there's more than three. And especially if we have three at all, right? It's very possible that at some point we just get down to basically just two conferences. It's almost the AFC and the NFC of college football at that point, Big Ten, SEC. And I I know this is something we talked about just on our own here. Everybody wants to point the finger at NIL or the transfer right. portal. Well, transfers were happening to begin with. NIL really right. didn't do anything. And people said that those two things were going to be the downfall of college football. But what it really has been is money. Because that's why all these teams are moving. They're trying to make their own money. And this goes back, like you said, you brought it up to to me earlier. This all goes back to when the NCAA left it to the conferences to sign their own TV deals and make their own money. And this is where we're at now. Everybody right. wants a piece of the pie. That's why the Big Ten and the SEC are premier landing spots. The ACC is okay. I mean, they got the ACC network, but it's nowhere near what the SEC network or Big Ten network is with Fox. They're going to be Big making about a third. Anything? The ACC will be making about a third of what the Big Ten will be making. They're already making a little bit more than half. So it's crazy the kind of money we're talking about at the Big Ten and SEC level. The mm-hmm. Big 12 does have a deal. The problem with the Big 12 is it's split across like three different networks right now because nobody wanted to take them as a single package. Well, the nice thing is, though, with the Longhorn Network, now the SEC's problem, if it even is still going to exist, there is more money right. to go around for the Big 12. So that's that's at least helpful. So it's looking, it's looking like, and another reason why I say the Big 12 is probably the most viable as a third option here, is the SEC is negotiating an exclusive deal with ESPN Fox is already out on the Pac-12 and Fox is not able to enter the ACC either that's an exclusive agreement with ESPN, ESPN. Yep. so if Fox gets the Big 12 exclusively 
the Big Ten has already opened negotiations. It's not going to be an exclusive deal. But if they can lock down the Big 12, that's a legitimate market that Fox can be a player with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's a better option, and it's really the only option on the table right now if Fox wants to stay on equal footing with ESPN or at least semi-relatively close to that as far as college football is concerned. The Big Ten is going to be partially Fox because Fox owns the Big Ten network. Right. But it's not going to be only Fox. Fox it can't afford a billion, $1.6 billion a year in a, right. in a media money deal. It, right. it, I don't know that anybody can by themselves, even Disney. Very true, very true. But I think that's going to do it for college news unless you got any any saved rounds here. Sounds like we got into it pretty well here. I have plenty of things to talk about with college football realignment. So what I will throw out there is if you have any other thoughts, go ahead and hop on. There's multiple ways to get a hold of us. You can get on Twitter at BDT football. Com. Or if you join our Patreon, you can get into our Discord server and talk to us all the freaking time. So if you have some things you wanted to talk to us about with realignment, I could talk about this stuff for literal hours. I've already drove my parents insane. So (laughs) I just can't stop talking about it was the point there. Jalen, I I see your question there, and we will get to it, I promise. We're going to cover our last little segment here, some non-NFL pro news. And I think this comment will – his comment here, it'll be a good way to kick off our American Athletic Conference preview. So before we get there, little piece of business here. The USFL, if you watched it, heard about it, we've talked about it every week since it started, and, you know, some before it. Uh, They finally had their championship on July 3rd day before independence day beautiful absolutely amazing right i gotta say it should be as a surprise come as a surprise to nobody that the stallions are our u.s inaugural inaugural is it inaugural there's been a usfl before it's kind of the inaugural the stallion the birmingham stallions the team from the host city are the usfl champions in a barn burner 33 to 30 over the stars and it took a pick six from scooby wright to seal the win here absolutely unbelievable that they were able to get this done this was a close game all the way through do you remember scooby Wright at arizona yes dude was a freaking beast i have no idea how he didn't make it on nfl roster and like stick anywhere he might but he's lighting up the usfl too (laughs) dude is insane i love scooby Wright. He might now, so keep an eye out. Maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll land on a practice squad here, or who knows? Maybe he'll he'll get into a camp and surprise some people, end up on an NFL roster. You never know. I, I know he was on the Browns practice squad for like two years, and with all the coaching turnover, I don't think he ever stood a chance. Yeah, one of those fringe guys that needed to be somewhere stable, and unfortunately, Cleveland right. ain't it. Last thing, I promise, we're getting to the American Conference preview, <laughs> but the FCF, we talk about it all the time because stuff always comes up. And if you remember, uh, fan-controlled sports, they're venturing into fan-controlled basketball. So besides basketball and a couple other, you know, talking about fan-controlled basketball, in this most recent fan survey, they're just asking, you know, general review of the season. Should have let off with that. There was another fan survey that came out. 
general review of the season. Uh, I obviously was not able to attend a game at Pullman Yards, but they were asking, you know, I'm sure there are questions about if you want what your opinion of it all was, merchandise opinions, and uh, most importantly, what do you think about the idea of FCF basketball or fan-controlled basketball? So I guess FCB. I gotta say, I I'm a fan-ish of the idea, uh, but I'm I'm very interested to see its implementation. Right. Yeah. There wasn't. There's no obvious way to. Yeah, there's no obvious way to make it work exactly, and. They did ask our favorite uh, former and current player. So I went with uh, John Morant as my favorite current player and Ben Wallace as my favorite former player. I would love for them to reach out to either of those guys and get them involved in the league. And, uh, yeah, I think I think having Ben Wallace involved in fan-controlled basketball would just be – it would be magnificent. A, a big defensive body involved in three-on-three fan-controlled basketball, unreal. I want them to get Greg Oden. <laughs> show people how to shoot with a cast on <laughs> surgically repair both of his knees get him on the court <laughs> but there you have it we i told you we would get there this is kind of the format of the show we got to get the news right out of the way everybody right got to get the news out of the way so we are here it is time for the american athletic conference preview but i think before we start Jalen Beatty over on facebook had a question for us so we'll get to it first to kick it off here which American teams, if any, do you think get into a two-big conference system? So this is kind of a tough question because they're already losing three. But I legitimately, maybe, if I was thinking of the three they're losing, man, that's that's tough because I don't think UCF gets into the SEC. Not with no. Florida, Florida State, and Miami. Houston, maybe? And I think SMU's got a brand that's appealing uh, but the only one, teams. the only one with the money to do it is probably Houston. Mm-hmm. Even then, I don't think they have enough, right? Yeah. Houston's a big enough media market where it could kind of work, but you're already somewhat in there with Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. So why would they need to add Houston? So I'll ask you this question then. You know, uh, well, before I get there, you, Tulane does have a history in the SEC as well, right? That's, I mean, that's a, that's an outside possibility, I guess. I would love I, that, at being the that, college football history guy, right? It's, there's no way that happens, right? I would not, absolutely not love it. <laughs> I think the one that I'm looking at more though, oh, man, South, you're, you're the Ohio State USF guy. thinks they deserve you're, it. <laughs> That's true. You're the Ohio State guy. You're the Big Ten football guy. Do you see Cincinnati possibly ever getting into the Big Ten? No. They're not big enough. They're not big enough in any metric you put out there. Money, fan base, market size. I mean, the market for Ohio State stretches beyond the borders of Ohio even. Ohio State, I saw actually the numbers. I saw them this morning. Ohio State has over double the social media presence of any other team in college football. It's actually kind of insane to me. So Cincinnati can't compete with that in-state already. They've been successful pulling recruits out of Kentucky and the three-star guys that Ohio State overlooks in the state of Ohio. You can't sustain that in a power conference. 
Then we right. saw that actually that same thing get exposed when they finally had to play Alabama. Right. And it was closer game than the other semifinal, but it still wasn't close. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't see any realistic way that happens. I, think- I wouldn't mind it personally. I know most Ohio State fans would get mad at me saying that because why would you allow the the scrub little brother into the conference? I wouldn't mind it. Cincinnati's a nice enough school. I like the town, but, but they can't afford to keep up with that. No way. I think ultimately, Jalen, and we've we've kind of mentioned this too, if this does go a power two route or two big conferences, I think ultimately those conferences will probably break away from the NCAA. Or it, there's going to be complete overhaul realignment of how college football uh, is run and organized by the NCAA because it's not it's going to be a completely different sport basically if these these power conference teams are playing. And Jalen too, I know you're a Memphis fan. I'm a Memphis fan, uh, so I'll throw it in here. I don't see any way possible that Memphis makes it into a power two conference. There is too much be- money because, in football, right? Right, and because Memphis the focus for that is always football. be a basketball school. Right. And I, I yeah. love Tiger football. I, I prefer football to basketball, so it's very odd that I went to Memphis and picked that school to go to. Uh, but as much as much as we want them to be a football school, it, it's never going to be the priority that it would be to be in a conference like a two-power conference, Big Ten, SEC. It's just not going to happen. I will say if you were trying to make a – roughly 40 team separation from the rest of college basketball and elevating them. Memphis might be, might make that cut. I think they do not. I absolutely think they do. They're not making it for college football. And that's the big driving force here. Uh, Clearly. Uh, When's the last time USC was any good, any other sport? I mean, last time they were good at football was 2005. So it's all better at basketball (laughs) since then too, but everybody knows them as a football school. Right. So, right. I don't, I don't see any way any of these teams are really considered. If anybody, it would probably be Houston and just because of that market. But SEC is kind I, of already in it. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I only throw out SMU because of the history. That is, that's got to have some type of driving factor for them. And talk about rebuilding a program, getting it back to its former glory. This would absolutely do it for SMU. Yeah. Where actually is SMU? I know it's like it's the Dallas Fort Worth, Texas or something, but yeah, okay. Dallas Fort Worth area. Okay. That that's different enough, right? That's a different market than Austin. That's a different that's market. That's way than, the fuck away from Austin. Right. That's what I'm saying. So you could make like SMU work. The thing is they haven't been actually that level of brand. Since no, not they were breaking the rules to do it, so <laughs> <laughs> they're paying their players before it was legal. Man, Eric Dickerson, love him, but come on, man, <laughs> you really think that guy was trying to go to a Methodist school? Come on, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get started with the American preview. Now, this will not include all the teams that are joining the American next year, right? We're looking at the American for the 2022 football season, which also means we're still talking about Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston in this very preview. 
So let's strap in, talk about these 11 different teams, and we're going to reach all the way down through you know, losses via the draft, transfers in and out of the programs, recruiting classes, all those big things. We're going to settle on who we think is going to win this conference. But let's get started talking about some of these teams, some of these coaches, and I guess no better place to start than the Cincinnati Bearcats. What Luke Fickle has done here is nothing short of sensational. Right. And the fact they essentially went undefeated two years straight is already impressive in itself. To make the college football playoff is a huge achievement. I don't care that it lost by 21 points. It was beautiful. They did a lot better than I think people want to give them credit for. Nobody wants to right. admit they did as good as they did, but they absolutely did as good as they did. And they, they deserve to be percent performed better than the team up north. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't that was kind of a low bar to to pass, but it is what it is. <laughs> I got I gotta say too, you know, everybody even even once it was basically official that they were going to the Big Twelve, everybody was speculating that Luke Fickle would be on the move, Luke Fickle would be on the move. There right. is no shot after being the coach that takes the first group of five team to the college football playoff that you're leaving, especially with Big 12, uh, a Big 12 landing spot on the horizon. I mean, it, he's going to be there for a long time. And I, I, this is how tradition around football is built. And I don't Absolutely. know if we'll ever consider Cincinnati a football powerhouse. I don't think we'll ever consider UCF a football powerhouse. But what I do think and what I can say confidently is that these two schools are not going anywhere. Same thing with Houston. Could they build up? Absolutely. Going to the Big 12 is going to help that. As we talked about earlier, that conference in a, as a whole is really setting itself up well. So these three teams are going to get in while the iron is hot there. Before they do that, they're going to they're going to be the top three teams in this conference. I, there's, there's no way around it. Well, and you're talking about Luke Fickle in relation to the Big 12. I think it is a very clear distinction a line of demarcation if you will between those top three coaches and the other coaches in this league right Gus Melzahn's about to be in a power conference again with UCF Dana Holgerson mm -hmm. left West Virginia resigned from West Virginia was not fired to go coach at Houston and now he's about to go play West Virginia in the Big 12 again that is crazy and I love it <laughs> it's it's absolutely beautiful absolutely beautiful but for this season, they're still competing in the American Athletic Conference. And they're going up against a bunch of teams who basically underperformed, I would say. The best of the bunch probably being SMU. But that defense is rough, and it keeps holding mm -hmm. them back. It has for multiple seasons. And yet, they lost their head coach to go be the head coach at TCU. So this is a bad situation for SMU, probably. Tulsa is looking decent, but it feels like there's a still a kind of a gap there between the top three and then Tulsa. Same with, I mean, East Carolina way out outperformed expectations, I would say, last year. It's probably the only team on this list to do so. Even them, it feels like a very large gap between East Carolina and these top three teams. What do you what do you think about the rest of the conference? Yeah, the one team you didn't mention is Memphis, and they're right. They're right there. They could they could make this top three team conversation a top four team conversation very easily. 
but I've got a lot of questions about that defense. There's been a lot of turnover there. A lot of turnover at the skill positions as well. What they do have in their favor this year is returning quarterback. And we'll talk about Seth Hennigan as well as some other players to watch around the conference. As far as everybody else goes, East Carolina, I think, I don't want to call it an outlier of a season, but I think they got lucky to a degree. It feels like this, it, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a big prove-it year for them. Tulane, man, this is a team you didn't talk about either. Talk about underperforming. And I know they had yeah. they had some of the issues with the hurricane to start the season, but this was a much better team than 2-10. Which I gotta feel like probably, it was probably probably the best two and ten team in college football history, <laughs> and that's that's probably why really Willie Fritz still right. has a job because right man that was that was that too was good of a team bad. to go two and ten. I, that was I gotta, so rough. South Florida definitely deserved to be two and ten though. Yeah, we're a we're a anti USF Bulls podcast. <laughs> other than Quentin Flowers, other, Quentin Flowers yeah. is the only good USF player in and history. <laughs> he is welcome on this show anytime he wants. Uh, I gotta say too, Temple man, I <laughs> Temple's very much so in a rebuild. It seems like they Building can't ever phase. get out of a rebuild, though. <laughs> they can't ever get out of it. Uh, I think you, yeah. I, so they did fire their previous head coach. Rod Carey is now the now a quality control coach in Indiana. So that tells you what level of guy he's considered to be around the sport. Uh, they did bring in Texas's running backs coach, Stan Drayton. Obviously, we've seen how great Bijan Robinson is. How much of that can you really attribute to Stan Drayton? And why do you think that's going to elevate you? Now, at the same time, I it's will say I a different play style change. I criticized Marshall for hiring Charles Huff, and he has definitely worked out so far. So if Stan Drayton, another running backs coach from another big school, if he can work for Temple, that's great. All more power to him. I don't see it at all. Oh, man. <laughs> it. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as SMU, though. Their offense has been the lifeblood of that team, and it never seems like it's enough, even when they have a serviceable defense, and I don't see them having a serviceable defense this year. So it, it's going to be a very interesting season for them. The last team that we have not talked about yet, Navy. <sighs> They are so, they're so up and down, and yeah. they're just in a real bad down right now. He is he's very lucky that an academy job is kind of a specialization. Like You almost have to be an alum to be able to <laughs> fill that spot. You know, right. Look at Troy Calhoun and, right. oh, shit, he's, it's escaping my head who it is at Army. But they're all alum. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, too. I know. <laughs> It's not tug level bad for getting this name, uh, but <laughs> it takes a special person to be able to do this. So he's got an advantage. I think his job is probably safe, but man, it's tough when this team is bad. When when the triple option just isn't working, it is extremely tough to watch, and it's it sucks that Navy's going to be in that position again this year. But ESPN SP Plus has him at three point seven projected wins, and I. I might take the under on that. I'm not going to lie to you. You were trying to think of Jeff Munkin, who I couldn't think of either. So I'll, I know. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Navy. Navy does what Navy does. I don't. I don't pretend to understand how they are as good as they are some years, but I fully expect them to suck every other year. 
So that's they're going to do that again. That's fine. It's Navy football. It's mostly good. So Ken Niamatololo is solid. He's fine. He's he's here to stay. A 15th year going into his 15th year at Navy. He'll be there another five or 10 if he wants to be. So I think he'll be there until he retires, even though we have him on a hot seat here. I just, I don't see it happening. I don't see them firing him. I only have him on a hot seat because it's kind of funny. That situation, just to pretend he's on a hot seat, made me laugh. So I threw him on the list. (laughs) But I will say Willie Fritz has to be, if Tulane doesn't turn this around and actually start winning some games, even as we talked about, it's probably the best two and 10 team ever you have to start winning some of those games. You need to be bowl eligible this year and prove that or else you have to start looking at the head coach as the problem. So Mm -hmm. I would say Willie Fritz is absolutely on the hot seat this year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Jeff Scott as well. South Florida is the only other one who makes any sense to me. They're just in such a tough spot. And we, we talked about Charlie Strong right. last night, too, just kind of unrelated. But he's getting more of a leash than Charlie Strong did and very much put in a similar situation where he was just kind of giving this team, said, go coach. And he's not having any better results. He's having worse results, actually. Three wins over the course of two seasons. It's not, it's not good for the Bulls. Yeah, I don't know how much more of a leash he will actually get. But I would think you probably need to win at least five games, show some legitimate improvement here. Like even if you win four games, you can call that somewhat of a fluke too. You get on the cusp of bowl eligibility, at least in that conversation, that could be a job-saving year. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about some of the players that we will no longer be seeing in this conference, including the number four overall pick. And Sauce Gardner, unreal, unreal. Man, from going from a group of five team never making it to the college football playoff to being number four overall, this is just the sun real. Yeah, there are several players on this list that were drafted out of the University of Cincinnati, uh, including a couple of Power Five transfers like Jerome Ford, for example, was an Alabama transfer that we had to hear about every single game being an Alabama transfer. Because that's all they know how to do on ESPN. (laughs) But uh, one of my favorite players out of that conference last year had to be Logan Hall, who ends up going in the second round. I loved Alec Pierce, too, after watching his combine. I did not realize how fast he was. He ends up going in the second round as well. There was some crazy talent in the American Athletic Conference this past previous season i guess we should say and i don't know how cincinnati's gonna be able to repeat anything close to what they did no idea i'm also surprised sauce gardner's taken so high he talks about the hardest guy to cover in the league or in the conference calvin austin gets taken in the fourth round going to the steelers yeah you gotta figure he's so short but you know uh (laughs) speed kills and actually I should have brought this down before I started the show. I got a got a little little gift from Tug here. Uh-oh. Should I go grab it? Go for it. I'll have keep you talking. seen it? Okay, there we go. I'll be I know what it is, but 
so while he's doing that, I guess I'll keep talking about some of these <laughs> defensive backs for a second because, man, Brian Cook, legitimately good safety for Cincinnati. And then we have the Thorpe Award winner, Kobe Bryant, going to the fourth round. I mean, this was a an insane defensive backs room for the Bearcats. No wonder they were able to keep everything going as well as they did over the past two seasons. They basically lost everybody this past draft. So I, I don't even – I didn't count this beforehand. I think if we were to count this right now, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players drafted out of Cincinnati. And maybe uh, – 15 drafted out of the conference as a whole. So <laughs> you talk about, you talk about, it's a little bit of exaggeration, but it's right. Right. Uh, and we talked too. like, there are some other great players that didn't go to Cincinnati. Like I was talking about Logan Hall at Houston. Uh, I really loved Danny Gray coming out of Southern Miss. Southern Miss, Southern Methodist. That's what I meant. That's <laughs> you. So Miss is coming though. They're coming, right? And Dylan Parham was one of my favorite mid-round offensive linemen. I, I know you probably love to hear that. What do you got there? Let's see if the camera will pick it up. Might be too bright. Uh, not really. Kind there of. There we go. Calvin there Austin go. the third. Nice. Let's see. There we go. Speed kills. Beautiful. First team All-American on the beautiful Memphis helmet. COA right there. Got to find it. a way to display this bad boy, cause a uh, little bit of a smudge too. You know it's legit. Oh yeah, a little bit of a smudge. They got this little paper on here, so the plastic bag wasn't smudging it. So now I got to try and work it back in here. Apologize for any any feedback here. I'm gonna mute myself actually, so okay. don't get all that again. <laughs> and I'll just keep talking about some of these players that got drafted. Um, Darian Beavers. Uh, Actually, a really good linebacker. We're losing a lot of various positions, though. It's not like we had a bunch of receivers go. It's not like we had a bunch of defensive backs go. It's across the board, across this conference, there's a lot of talent. And if we look at some of the undrafted guys, some guys I really want to shout out as well, like Tyler Sneed out of East Carolina, a really talented receiver as of going undrafted, being teammates with your boy there, Calvin Austin. Uh, up in Pittsburgh now. Uh, Diego Fago, linebacker for Navy, was the lifeblood of that Navy defense for Absolutely. the past three years. Uh, Reggie Roberson, another receiver out of, out of SMU, you know him and Danny Gray together were just what an offense SMU has had over the past three four years. Uh, no matter who the quarterback is, it seems like too they just light it up. So it's. It's been very fun to see all this talent coming through. And I guess the only way to bring in that talent is through recruiting. I'm about to jump to recruiting unless you have more to talk about with these draft classes. I got to say, very biased towards Lovey Smith, very biased towards Memphis. And holy shit, I can't wait to see Jacoby Francis in a Lovey Smith defense down there in Houston. (laughs) Very fair. Understandable. (laughs) But let's talk about recruiting here. Uh, once again, kind of as we talked about with coaching, there seems to be a very clear distinction. The one dis- one difference, though, where I only talked about three teams up top, now it's definitely four teams, Memphis being that definitive fourth team. 
there's a cutoff between the top schools in the American and then everybody else as far as recruiting. Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and Memphis are all recruiting like legitimate power five, middle of power five schools. Like the 42nd best class in the country doesn't sound that great until you consider it would be like sixth in the big 12 right now. So Cincinnati's stepping Convenient. into an environment where they're already already competing. That's why I looked at the big 12. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Memphis is right up there too at 59. And then there's a big drop off to the number 74 overall class with Tulane. And you have Tulsa all the way down at 112. I'm not even counting Navy. They technically yeah. had a recruiting class, that, but they're not allowed to recruit. So it doesn't, it doesn't the count. fact that they have <laughs> two, three stars is pretty amazing. <laughs> right. If I'm, right. If I'm being completely honest, I'll throw it out here too. So Cincinnati, there are four different. Go ahead. Yeah. Cincinnati, 19 recruits, all 19 are starred. 17, three stars, two, four stars. Yeah. Houston had 17 of their 20 recruits with stars. Central UCF, 14, three stars, one, four star for a total of 15. And Memphis, all 20 of their recruits were three stars. So this is this is what we're talking about. Tulane, I, that drop is kind of jarring. When you look at their average, yeah. they're not that far off from Memphis. Of their 17 recruits, 16 of them were three stars. And then same thing with SMU and East Carolina and South Florida, for that matter. These numbers are very close, 12 and 10, 17 I would say, though, 14. you do have to consider, I was trying to be nice to Memphis being number 59 compared to, like, number 52 for UCF. You look at the average rating for these recruits, it's still the top three and everybody else, right? Yeah. 86, roughly, average rating. Then you drop to 84, and that doesn't sound like a lot but it actually is in the world of recruiting mm-hmm. and rankings. That's a, that's a pretty big difference. So you have a school like UCF with only 15 recruits being that far ahead of a school like Memphis with 20 recruits. Yeah. There's, there's some differences in the level of talent that they're able to bring oh, absolutely. in. Absolutely. And, and Gus Melvon is a huge help with that. Right. Of course. So there are four different four stars though coming into this conference, which is pretty incredible. Uh, two Looks for like Cincinnati. Five. You are correct. I totally skipped over Houston's. They're also bringing one in. UCF is bringing one in, and SMU has a four star, which good for them. I hope it's on the defensive side of the ball because they really <laughs> need that. <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably some quarterback thinking they're just can doing their big twelve auditions here. Man. I don't blame them, honestly. <laughs> so I I love recruiting, but we're going to obviously get a lot more into recruiting classes and such as we head into the Power Five. It's where all the big name that people will recognize end up going to. Um, it's hard to talk about three stars all that much and sound overly excited. We get to five stars and they're like putting up video game numbers in high school. We'll start talking about those individual guys. But as far as group of five recruiting, this is far and away the best of anybody in the business. And it's Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and then everybody else. So once again, why are those three the ones that got picked to go to a power five conference? I wonder. Jeez, it right sure there. is a mystery. It's it's a tough one. It's a real thinker. <laughs> 
Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about some transfers. I, once again, I don't really have anybody highlighted here. This is a list of literally everybody because it's next to impossible to predict who's really going to make that much of an impact. Because uh, to some extent, almost everybody is that transfers in. If a lot of people come from a Power 5 school. They're a second, third string guy, want to get some playing time. Here's a path to playing time. So people coming from Texas going to SMU. People coming from Oklahoma State going to SMU. People coming from Duke, Illinois, Penn State going to Temple. It's people in that area in Power 5 schools gravitate towards the best group of five schools they get into and hopefully find some way to get on the field. So most of these transfers you're not going to have heard of before, and yet some of them are going to play major impacts on these teams getting some real starting time. It's the way that group of five schools have made up for not being able to recruit on the same level as power fives. Makes total sense to me. Let Ohio and state recruit them and then steal them away. Once they get buried on the depth chart. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to make college football better in the long run. In my opinion, I, I truly believe that because uh, you won't have guys just sitting, waiting, hoping they get a shot. They don't. And then they're playing in the XFL and the season shuts right. down because of COVID. So who knows? one guy who I knows? do want to call out individually would be Ben Bryant quarterback transferring to Cincinnati from Eastern Michigan. If we would have done this last year, he would have been on the other list going from Cincinnati to Eastern Michigan. Uh, so now that Desmond Ritter has gone, he's coming back to try to claim that starting job for the Bearcats. <laughs> kind of hilarious. I respect it. And this is kind of the disgusting thing. transfer portal. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it and don't respect it at the same time. Put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Jevion Ducker, though, uh, coming into Memphis, is probably actually going to be a legitimate contender to start at running back. I know it's probably going to end up being a rotation anyway, but coming from Northern Illinois, a little bit impressive. That's a running offense. Right, for that's sure. An absolute running offense. I think another one that's – I wouldn't say so much a head-scratcher, but it's going to create some healthy competition is Ryan Glover out of Cal, the quarterback. That job is Seth Hannigan's to lose, in my opinion. I, I'm not in that locker room. I'm not part of that team. I don't know what Ryan Silverfield has planned, but you got to think he's just there to push Seth a little bit more this year. I oh, certainly hope so. hope they're not trying to take it away from Seth. Seth's too much fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, another guy I guess we should shout out is Jerry Bohannon. Uh, used to be one of the starting quarterbacks for Baylor. And then he got beat out by a true freshman. So he's headed to South Florida. And maybe that offense is not the worst thing in the world this year. That could be cool. One can hope, right? (laughs) One can hope. I I would bet Jeff Scott's hoping. (laughs) And I'll say this. I'll throw this one out here, too. You know, we talked about Temple getting a new coach this year, being that former running backs coach at Texas, Stan Drayton. What does he do? He goes and brings in two two running backs from a running powerhouses if you want to say it that way illinois okay sure it's illinois but it's a big strong running offense jakari norwood and darvin hubbard out of texas a&m they've built quite a rushing attack over the past few years so you got to think 
he's it looks like he's trying to implement something a little different that Temple hadn't done oh at least since they've been in the American they've been a very run and gun type of team but if they're willing to bring these guys in and get the ball on the ground a little more move the ball that way I think they're they're definitely on the right track as far as outgoing transfers the one that really sticks out to me is Ulysses Bentley headed from SMU to Ole Miss, where I would say he has probably a pretty good chance of starting for the Rebels. He's been phenomenal for SMU, and he has a name that's easily memorable too. So <laughs> makes it easy to shout him out. <laughs> uh, Grant Gannell heading to his, what, fourth team in college now? <laughs> if Memphis even counts. I mean, what what he got hurt. What's he supposed to do? It's interesting that he's going Still. to North Texas, and I don't know how much this elevates the mean green, uh, but that team's been making moves, getting better year by year. Who knows? Maybe maybe this year they crack into a bowl game and Grant Cannell is the savior at North Texas. We'll see. That would be absolutely wild. I'm here for it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, the absolute best transfer headed out of the American this year has to be Jackson Player out of Tulsa, going to the Baylor Bears, defending Big 12 champs, by the way. Jackson Player is a fantastic defensive lineman. I really love watching him. And I got to say, I think that Baylor defensive line is going to be a lot better for it. So, hate to see him go. Can't wait to see him in a Power 5 school, though. And then, you know, kind of – Less sexy, but we got a kicker out of South Florida, Jared Sackett. He's going closer to home, back to UTSA. I mean, hey, got to show some love for the kickers every now and then, right? I think it's the only kicker transfer we have in or out of the conference. So definitely worth mentioning. It's a notable notable movement there. Well, I only put him on a list because his name is Sackett, and that's funny. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be real. <laughs> but let's Fair talk enough. about some players to watch here. I – I tried to stay away from the transfers, but at the same time, I'm also kind of basing this off of some like all conference lists. So, for example, Javion Ducker, Javon Ducker, who we did talk about as a transfer, does appear as one of the players to watch for Memphis, but at the same time, so does Seth Hennigan, right? Established guy at this point, you have to love him. I, I got to say, yeah, I got to say too. As a Memphis fan, I get kind of the same feeling watching him last year that I got watching Paxton Lynch his first year at Memphis. Now, will he make the same strides going, you know, this season that Lynch did going into his second season starting for the Tigers? I don't know. What I do know is Memphis is in a much better position as a football program for Seth Hennigan than it was for Paxton Lynch. So it should be a lot easier for him to be able to do that. That being said, there's a lot of questions about this team. There's been a lot of turnover. There's continuing to be a lot of turnover, both in and out of the program as far as transfers go. I think Seth Hennigan is the guy to get it done. And if Javon Ducker ends up being a good, solid lead guy for that running back room, Tiger offense I think will be in a pretty good position because that is definitely something that held them back last year, just inopportune turnovers. That's They've got at least two losses because of turnovers in the red zone. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's those two guys are really going to be pivotal for the offense this year. I want to say, too, I think Seth Hennigan is going to be competing 
to be the best quarterback in that conference. Really, oh, yeah. there's only there's one one other three guy. options. Uh, Clayton Toon at Houston, of course, it has to be in that conversation. Tanner Mordecai is going to put up the stats for it, but I would say Seth Hennigan, even with half the stats of Tanner Mordecai, could prove to be the better quarterback, right? That kind of wild offense that SMU runs, anything's possible. So, yeah, I think you have to expect big things out of Seth Hennigan this year, and I I would say you're looking at eight, nine wins at Memphis, hopefully. So did we, I think the offense can get it done. Did we miss a transfer out of Central Florida? We did. How did we not talk about Dylan Gabriel leaving and going to uh, going to Oklahoma? Um, How did we miss that? When did this one happen? Because that's the guy I was going to bring up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it had that's definitely happen a thing that happened. No, I, it's it's been a thing for a while. Good call out. That's important, man. That's. That's crazy. That's like the biggest transfer <laughs> possible out of the American. Absolutely is. Because you got to figure, too, <laughs> if Dylan Gabriel was there, he's definitely a guy competing for that top yeah. top quarterback right. spot. Right. Good call out. So Dylan Gabriel transferred. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about him when we get to Oklahoma here. When we talk about the Big 12 in what, three weeks, four weeks? Two weeks. We'll figure it out. Pretty sure. Pretty sure two <laughs> weeks. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, what's UCF left with? I would say one of the best receivers in the conference, Ryan O'Keefe. Other than that, not sure. Some question marks <laughs> there, I guess. Uh, Nick Mardner for Cincinnati has got to be up there, too, though, competing for that best receiver in the conference title. Uh, that offensive line is kind of crazy at Cincinnati. I would say almost no matter who the quarterback is there, Cincinnati is still going to win a bunch of games. Their offensive line is incredible, led by center Jake Renfro, absolutely an anchor. Uh, East Carolina has Keaton Mitchell, who I love a lot at running back, actually. Uh, they lost their best receiver at the same time, it's kind of a little bit of a power team trying to be almost sometimes feels like, and they have the running back to do that. It could be, could be worth watching some East Carolina offense this year. Um, (laughs) We have USF players listed on here, but they don't really count. They're not good enough. (laughs) We got the one Mathis listed on here too. And I don't know how he's going to equate into that quarterback challenge for top quarterback of the conference. But, man, I remember when we were talking about him as a freshman at Georgia, and I didn't even realize he transferred last season, but he did. He's now at Temple. Yeah. If they're going to more of a run-first uh, run offense, I got to wonder how that's going to affect him and his numbers there. So I remember that was a recruiting battle with Ohio State and Georgia for Dewan mm-hmm. Mathis. And he ends up going to Georgia because Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State essentially is why it happened. He never saw the field really for Georgia. And he played now one at game Temple. against Arkansas. It doesn't count. He <laughs> transferred to Temple. We'll see what happens. At at least I know he is a talented prospect. I don't know if he's any good at all. Apparently he's not better than Stetson Bennett. So if that tells you anything, um <laughs> We'll see what he's capable of. 
I guess. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. Good luck, Temple. I know that. Good luck, Temple. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for some defensive players to watch, I kind of wanted to leave off UCF, Cincinnati. We know their defenses are going to be pretty decent, right? They have a few pieces around. Cincinnati also lost a lot on that defense. But if we look at, say, some different position groups around the conference, you have to be looking at Houston and Memphis as far as like the best safety in the American Conference. Javarius Owens, Quindell Johnson are phenomenal at Houston and Memphis, respectively. Like, legitimately good safety prospects, too, I would say. Yeah, and I think, I can't remember where Owens was as far as uh, preseason all-conference, but I'm pretty sure Quindell Johnson was second team all-conference on the defensive side of the ball. If not, he was third team. It really kind of paints a picture that these defenses aren't, you know, there's not going to be good defenses around the league. There's a lot of love being shown if you go and look at these uh, these preseason all-conference teams. There's a lot of love being shown to Cincinnati. There's a lot of love being shown to UCF. They built that reputation. Yeah, right. I think they're kind of getting by on that. There's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball around the entire conference, though, except SMU. <laughs> I actually, I like SMU's defensive line. Uh, South Florida is the one we'll avoid for sure. Uh, <laughs> As, so keeping with my theme then of going to different position groups, look at the best corners in the league. Again, trying to stay out of Cincinnati, UCF. Cincinnati had the two best corners in apparently in the country last year. One of them won the Thorpe Award and one of them went number four overall. But uh, <laughs> I would say Greg Rubin at Memphis, again, talking about a defensive back out of Memphis as being one of the best in the business. And then Still mind-boggling. I would say Cameron Ruiz at Temple is actually probably Temple's best player. And he plays corner and he does it at a high level. And of course, we got to show some love for the service academies. They might be able to run the ball down your throat as much as they want, but you're going to have a hard time doing it to them, especially up the middle between Donald Barble, Barber and Clay Cromwell. Defensive tackles there for the yeah. midshipmen. It's going to be a, a fierce defensive front, and they're going to need it if they want to have any any shot of being in some of these games this season. Linebackers, I would look at Tulane and Tulsa, right? Dorian Williams, Justin Wright, some pretty solid linebacking groups there. I'm not going to say USF. Forget them. Uh, <laughs> uh, with Jackson player leaving, though, it really – there's kind of a hole at defensive end, I would say, around this, this conference. He was by far and away the best defensive lineman in the American League. And I said American League as if this is Major League Baseball. I mean, you know, it is baseball season. It's okay. It's understandable. I forgive you. Thank you. Um, I guess the next best thing would be Anthony Goodlow, also at Tulsa. I'm not convinced, though. I mean, honestly, you're probably looking at Jabari Taylor or Tremaine Morris Bush at Cincinnati UCF. Trying to avoid those top three because they're about to be about to not be in the American anymore. I don't know. Defensive end is kind of a big hole in my mind. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But the defensive tackles are solid at a couple different schools. And I love the defensive backs room at, say, 
Memphis at it's a weird weird sentence. <laughs> All right. I'm going to I guess I should stop talking before I dig myself further in a hole. <laughs> Memphis having great defensive backs, it is weird. It does feel weird. But I think Wait, it's true. I though, mean, this it's, year. I think it's it is such true. an oxymoron too because I when I think back to some of their biggest wins, it ends with an interception. Like 7 of 7 of the 10 biggest wins I can think of and with and with them, you know, picking the ball yeah. off to seal the win. So and yet, I say name, that, and I, it's name it's a, very, a Memphis corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, all time name one ever. <laughs> Bobby McCain played safety, so that's kind of tough. Lonnie Ballantyne, I think he hey. was safety too. He was he was Mister Irrelevant <laughs> though. So it's tough. for two. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead. I think that. About wraps up our conference preview, unless you had anything else to say here. And I think it's time for our projections well, if you're ready to go there. Yep. And we'll get to our projections. And then, Mike, we will get to your question. Don't think we're uh, leaving you out in the cold there. We see it. Uh, we're just going to wrap this up, get to your question. And we got uh, one more segment after this, too. So you want to take the projections first or should I do it? Uh, you did it last time. I guess I'll go first this time. Uh, I would say my number one in this conference because we don't have divisions. So it's number one versus number two. My number one is really up in the air because there are three different ways this could go. <laughs> um, Cincinnati lost too much for me to put them number one right now. Yeah. And I just, at that point, it's like a coin flip between UCF and Houston I'm just taking UCF. I feel like it's a uh, feel like it's the year for the Knights. I don't know why. I'm gonna say UCF won, and then I love Cincinnati's offensive line too much to not have them in the title game. So let's say Houston finishes third once again. This is uh this is disgusting after what Houston did two years ago where they redshirted everybody and threw the towel in what four or five weeks into the season. But I do have them winning the conference this year or being number one, I should say. Uh, and then UCF, I've got them in at number two. I think Gus Malzahn is really starting to get his team together, building them up. They're going to be back to being the tough team to beat that they were three years ago under Scott Frost. So. Maybe we see another undefeated season from UCF. It's worth mentioning too. ESPN just put out a uh, an odds odds graphic to make college football playoff. There were two uh, American Athletic Conference teams with a 0.2 percent chance to make the college football playoff. One of them, of course, being Cincinnati. How can you not have one of the teams from last year at least make the graphic? Right. Uh, and the other one was UCF. So the fact that I actually have Houston beating them in the championship game kind of tells you how highly I think of this Houston team right now and what they've built there, even if uh, there are some disgusting, dirty tactics they did to get there. Uh, this team is, man, they have turned it around and become a powerhouse, at least in the American, once again, much faster than I thought was going to be possible for them. So you have, wow, Houston, UCF, I Honestly, I'm okay with that if that were to happen. I want to see Cincinnati keep winning, but so yours is probably more likely. More likely. Um, 
I'm going to take UCF to win the conference. I don't even know why, to be honest with you. They got that pedigree. It's They're about due. <laughs> they are about due. If will, it's UCF Cincinnati, I will say UCF probably wins that game this year. Right. I will say losing Dylan Gabriel does put a big question mark on that offense. But True. if if I've learned anything about UCF since they, you know, started deciding to win games instead of losing every single game of the season, uh, it's that they, they do it pretty well, actually. <laughs> they do win pretty well, but they also recruit at quarterback very well. Right. And I think that gives yep. them a distinct advantage. Uh, especially going into the season where Cincinnati is very much in a rebuild. We got Mike Tackett here on Facebook saying one UCF, two Cincy, three Houston. Sounds like That's he's agreeing with you. Order I had him in. Love it. <laughs> Appreciate you, Mike. <laughs> I would I would borderline say Memphis at three, but they're gonna have to beat at least There's one, if not two. The only UCF, way Houston Memphis is at three is if it's Houston, UCF, one, two, some order. And Cincinnati falls to four. That's possible with everything that they've lost. I don't think it's likely. It's more likely to me that they make the championship than fall to number four in the conference. It is definitely possible, though. And I know we got some Memphis fans watching, and we'll probably have some Memphis fans that end up listening to this. So I will say, I th- I think Memphis is a three or four. You know, they're going to be third or fourth in the conference this year. I just think that's where they're at, and that's kind of just how it's going to be this season. It's unfortunate. Me, I I wish they could be in the top two this last season with UCF, Houston, and uh, Cincinnati. I would love for yeah. it to be Memphis and one of those teams, and I would love even not even Memphis. If it was Tulane or SMU, who I think is the only two other teams with an, any type of shot of being one of the top two teams, I would love to see one of the teams that stand win the conference this year. I unfortunately just don't see it happening. At least not today. Talk to me in week five. I'll let you know. And I agree. So (laughs) with that, (laughs) let's go ahead and get out of this American preview. And we have a question on Facebook. Yep. From Mike Tackett. We said we'd get back to it. And here we are. Georgia has the number one toughest strength of schedule and also has the least number of returning starters. What's the over-under on wins for this year? I say at best, they're a nine-win team. Actual betting odds question, I would say they're probably listed at like, what, 10 and a half? Um, I would bet the over on that. I think legitimately looking at their schedule. So let's let's do this real quick. Um let me share my screen so everybody can see what schedule we're actually looking at here. And I can read it off as well, but hold up. Let me. Is it going to let you? Maybe. This might be a good one. I'm, I'm hoping so. A good little test run for us. <laughs> if it, if not, I'll just unshare my screen for a minute and we'll, we'll be able to see here. I, I think you, I think you can pull it up. See what you got. Oh, yep. Here we go. All right. So they're starting against Oregon, then the FCS school at South Carolina, Mac school at Missouri, home for Auburn, home for Vanderbilt, a bye before facing Florida. 
home for so Tennessee. We, that's already six games before that bye week. Yeah, they're six and zero through that. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's it's actually seven games before the bye. Okay, and I would so say there's... the only toss up there is going to be Oregon. I don't think South Carolina. I miss you saying Oregon is there right now. Um, I think I think at worst they're six and one. It's it's Georgia. Anything's possible, right? Very true. Especially when you're facing South Carolina. We'll we'll go worst case scenario. They're six and one coming into the bye week. Sorry, sorry to do really there. Let's let's keep going. I, th- I think that's probably accurate. Worst case scenario, six and one head to the bye. Then they go to a neutral site against Florida, home for Tennessee. That's probably two wins. That's, the neutral site makes it tough because that's the that's the cocktail party, right? Yes, and it's in so, Jacksonville. Oh. That's more. That's more Florida's wheelhouse. That's kind of not neutral, but I like the I like the spin on it. At They're, Mississippi State, at Kentucky's probably actually a toss up this year, um, and then home for Georgia Tech. Will Levis is expected to be one of the top quarterback prospects in the entire draft this season. As crazy as that sounds, Kentucky has a legitimate offense this year. They've had a legitimate defense for the past six years under uh, Mark Stoops. I think Kentucky's a decent toss-up. Florida's a toss-up, just because it's at. Uh, and you you got Her- you got Herberfield. another rivalry game with Georgia Tech to close out the year. Yeah, I yeah, but Georgia I, Tech's not there to compete with yeah. Georgia right now. I, don't I mean, they that, went three and nine last year. Yeah, I don't know that nine wins is at best for them, but I think nine wins is something solid. So they're they're over unders at ten and a half. I would probably take the under on that. I think nine wins is definitely doable. I don't know if they're getting 11 wins, though. I don't see that happening. I would take 11 way more often than I'd take nine in a simulation here. I don't see a way. For one thing, too, you have to consider what Oregon has lost as well, right? Oregon's not the same team that went into the shoe and beat Ohio State. Very true. They don't have the same quarterback. Well, they didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau for that game anyway. True but they also don't have a couple of the same defensive pieces that they beat Ohio state with. And both those running backs that actually went in there and ran all over that defense are gone. Let alone the fact that Georgia's defense is better than that anyway. So I don't see Oregon winning that game. You can call South Carolina a toss up if you want to be a dick about it. (laughs) It's not. That's not the toss up game. I think your toss-ups are, yeah, sure. Oregon has a chance, but it's also in Atlanta. Uh, oh no! Fuck, at... Never mind. <laughs> they don't have a chance. You kidding me? <laughs> maybe maybe eleven's way more realistic than we're giving it credit for, or I'm giving it credit think, for at least. I think Florida and Kentucky are your real toss-ups here. Mm. Maybe at Missouri because they have a tendency to. Missouri has a tendency was, to lose when they're going towards a specific end zone. So let's not get too excited here. Missouri's not well, going to be the Georgia, first loss of the defending champs. But Georgia also has a history of Clemsoning. So <laughs> I love how it's still Clemsoning, even though we're talking about one of their biggest rivals. Georgianing? I mean, it doesn't flow as well. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> Watch Georgia lose to Kent State, and this whole thing just <laughs> blows up. <laughs> I would love that very much. <laughs> I know you would. I know you would. Oh, man. Even worse than 
Ohio Directional School. We don't even get a direction. It's just Kent. What is that? Nobody knows, but it's provocative. Exactly. So, I guess the last thing we have to do here is jump on into bracket time. Are you ready? Oh, I am so ready. That hasn't happened since last bracket time. I guess the song started get, late. Eh. <laughs> I guess before we get too into it, we should mention Mike Tackett is back here in the comments saying he's got four losses, Oregon, Auburn, Florida, and Kentucky. Auburn's one that we didn't talk about at all, but I just – Auburn at Georgia. Yeah. That's another, that's another rivalry game. I just – I don't know. I don't see that one happening, though. Sure, but I don't know – who Auburn has on that deep, uh, that offensive side of the ball to really challenge Georgia this year? Um, I don't see it happening. I guess for that one, Mike, tune in when we do our SEC preview. That's going to be about five weeks away, so we'll we'll do a deep dive on you know what Georgia you know what? Auburn we'll, players to watch all that. We'll put out we'll put out some sort of schedule. We'll put it on all the social media. Uh, which is something I did not do well of with the brackets this week. Uh, they got up on Twitter, no problem. Uh, Instagram, got them up kind of late, didn't get a ton of interaction, and that's I'll own that. That one's on me, putting it up hey, in the middle of the day. America's it's my weekend, weekend. guys. America's yeah. weekend. You get a break. <laughs> really, and, yeah, and I was off today. I was, I was all thrown off. I was discombobulated, not thinking straight. But nonetheless, like the song says, with your votes on our Twitter polls, we got some results, so let's let's get into it. Absolutely. So if you don't know, I'm about to tell you. We are counting down the best stadium in all of the Power Five, plus five, uh, because we're including Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, BYU, and Notre Dame, as well as everybody else, the other 64 teams in that Power Five uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it results in a very nice number of schools we'll be talking about and second of all because uh by the time we get to group of five stadiums four of those teams are going to be in a power five conference anyway so why not bring them on in and let's talk about all these stadiums all at once so we are still in our first round of competition if you haven't been voting on our polls get in on that go to twitter at bdt football go to instagram bdt underscore football and facebook should have those polls as well facebook.com slash bdt football so let's go ahead and dive on into our first matchup of the day which is kyle field from texas a&m versus truest field from wake forest and this was kind of a blowout on social media polls uh kyle field won decisively and before you get going here i will say that is 100 percent fair <laughs> yeah i completely agree I'll, I'll say this too, you know, I think I can't remember the school we were talking about last time when I mentioned this, but when you see a game at Wake Forest, the camera angles are so unique, you know, you're watching a Wake Forest game and it, I, I don't know what it is. I, it doesn't look like there's any reason for them to have yeah. different camera angles, but they do. And it, it does add a, at the same aesthetic. time. I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I enjoyed it. It adds an aesthetic okay. for me, at least. And it might just be the ACC network as well. I'll I'll, I'll throw that one out here for sure. Uh, but as an aesthetic for me, that's pleasing. Unfortunately, that doesn't really do anything for you as far as being an actual stadium. And by the way, 
being Truist Field when Truist Park is in Atlanta makes it very hard to find any information out specifically about this stadium. So I'm sorry, Wake Forest, but I can show you no love today. And uh, Kyle Field wins this one in an absolute landslide. There is there was there any doubt here? I mean, there shouldn't you, have been have if there was for, for Truist Field. I don't have any love for Truist Field. I think it's one of the worst stadiums in this bracket. So let's go ahead and jump out of here. Kyle Field is moving on for sure. <laughs> Easy decision. Now we get to a little bit of a tougher one. Uh, BYU's Lavelle Edwards Stadium up against... Recently renovated Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Up against recently renovated University of Louisville and Cardinal Stadium, formerly known as Papa John's Stadium, but we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh so social media polls did go with university of louisville here and i was Man. very surprised and i say that as a an alum of the university of louisville i was very surprised um that backdrop like, i know how are we voting against lavelle edwards stadium here at the same time how much can you really credit the stadium for being around some mountains. If you're just looking at the stadium itself, I gotta say, I kind of prefer the horseshoe with, uh, you know, with a, uh, with an arrow an end zone filled in versus the partial bowl with all these corners removed. Yeah. That's the only thing that I can really say to knock Lavelle Edwards is the corners removed from the bowl. That is, a tough look. It reminds me a lot of Aloha Stadium out in Hawaii, which Lavelle Edwards is which, not going to have the issues that stadium has, right? They don't have to right. deal with the salt water, but that's there's it's aesthetically pleasing and it's not aesthetically pleasing all at the same time. I know. So it's hard to take your eyes off it, but not in a great way. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's kind of fair in man, I, I don't know. I like BYU Stadium a lot. I love the backdrop of it, but I guess as we're talking traditional stadium setups, Louisville's is pretty decent looking. And that whole new section, which is where that top picture is actually taken from, that new section, that was Mm -hmm. added when Louisville joined the ACC. We actually just completed two years ago, I think. It's been a long time in the process a very big addition to the stadium. It added a lot. It added so much functionality even to all the uh, the pathways to get around that stadium. I, I really like the layout now of Cardinal Stadium. I do enjoy going to games there. I'll throw this one out here. And I don't yes. know that this wins it for yeah. LaBelle Edwards Stadium but they at least have some type of tradition and some type of game day experience other than, hey, there's a football game going on. We talked about it. I tried putting a few things in here, the Joker and the Thief song being played in the stadium. You said you've never even heard it, so the internet lied to me. You can't believe anything, you, everything you read on the internet, folks. You got the Muhammad Ali uniforms, but again, those are – when was the I last time they, they wore, them. wore them? I think they wore them once ever. And then throwing the L, I mean, come on. It's an L, which stands for – Louisville loser. Louisville. You got Lavelle Edwards Stadium. (laughs) You got Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And yeah, a cannon touchdown BYU flags being run out by the cheerleaders. It's not much, but it's something. What uh, it's some character. They've even got a victory bell a victory bell 
And I believe there was something being said about lighting the Y. I just didn't know all the details of it, so I didn't want to have it be a focal point of our game day traditions at LaBelle Edwards. Yeah. But at least they got something. I I don't know, man. I don't know how that so you, plays out for you. I'm definitely going with LaBelle Edwards because, man, it's just – it's it's tough taking this I, – I will say – as far as aesthetics go, I love the upper deck at Louisville, and I also yep. love that arrow in the end zone. Right when, when yep. we finally get to a group of five one, I will rave about North Texas' stadium. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen North Texas Stadium, we're not going to pull it up today. Go look it up; you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, which end zone I'm talking about when you see it. I love it, so I love what Louisville has here. But there are a lot of things about BYU Stadium that I like more. And you, yeah, you want to knock the backdrop, but they had the room to put it right next to a mountain. Louisville kind of had to get crammed in the middle of the city. Unfair, fair, unfair. That's where I'm at. It's it's just a fact for me. I can't stand those corners being cut out. I can't <laughs> blame I can't you. handle it. I don't blame you on that. I think I need to side with social media here and go with Louisville just because it's actually a decent looking stadium. <laughs> I love the traditions of BYU football. It looks complete. I will give right. you that. The traditions of BYU football as a football program are great. Are those really traditions of the stadium itself? Like Lavelle Edwards is not that old, is it? When was it first opened? Let's take a look-see here. Uh, 1964. Okay. All right. Well, you got me there, but I still can't stand the look of it, and I feel like I need to. (laughs) (laughs) We did overrule social media one time already in this bracket, and I don't feel like doing that again. That's another I don't think this is the one to do it on. Yeah, I don't think this is the one to do it on. I don't think it's worth it. Uh Whichever one wins here is going to lose to Kyle Field next round anyway. So that's just, very, very true. Let's move on Cardinal Stadium for now. I think that's definitely fair. But Lavelle Edwards has had some things going. It was it. it was a tough elimination for Cardinal Stadium. They they got <laughs> bloody in this fight, and it's not going to help them out next time. <laughs> let's go ahead and jump to our next matchup here. It's a Big Ten matchup: University of Nebraska versus the University of Minnesota. We're talking. Memorial Stadium, one of the 18 different stadiums called Memorial Stadium, up against Huntington Bank Stadium here. Now, social media surprised me on this and ended up going with Huntington Bank Stadium. Yeah, it, it shocked me too. Don't don't even think for a second it didn't. You've got a sellout streak at Memorial Stadium that spans several shitty years of Nebraska football. You've got the balloons being released. I mean, there's a lot of tradition around the Cornhuskers. I am shocked that Minnesota was able to overcome all of that. Now, fun fact, I'm 99.99% sure the coldest ever NFL game took place at Huntington Bank Stadium. But, you know, we're not really talking about, you know, the NFL. We are talking about the stadium, though. So that I think that's a nice little carrot or a feather in their cap. If you want, if since we are looking at the stadium as a whole, as far as college football goes, though, man, it's it's uninspiring to look at. Like no, Memorial Stadium, you think college football stadium when you look at it. 
Huntington Bank Stadium very easily could have just been the home of the uh, of the Vikings, and nobody would have been any the wiser. I don't know, man. I don't know that I agree with that. This is the same thing we have praised other stadiums before, where you have a backdrop of some actually academic-looking buildings. They have that right behind that big video board. This stadium itself looks like an old academic building, actually. All around the outside looks very traditionally collegiate. I love that look. And then you look at Nebraska. What really do they have that distinguishes them other than half the size of the stadium is taken up by press boxes and suites? I mean, it's it's a very classic-looking stadium. Not trying to take that away from them. It's obvious. It's been around for a long time, and that tradition builds up over time. I respect that. Minnesota looks great to me i gotta say too if you bring up nebraska's sellout streak they're running buy one get one freeze they got boosters buying whole time (laughs) technically that's been going on since 1962 technically it's been going on for over 380 games is it really You know, the sea, the sea of red. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm I'm going to stick with Memorial Stadium, but I know you're going to go with Huntington Bank Stadium, and I think that's I am, really fair. I'm very torn here because I actually love Huntington Bank Stadium. It's one of my favorite stadiums in the Big Ten. And Memorial Stadium just feels like another giant bowl. Yeah. Um, it's – to me, Memorial Stadium is not that special, and it feels sacrilegious to say. But I kind of understand why people voted for Huntington Bank. I mean, it just looks so dang cool. Um, I guess this comes down to, are we voting on how a stadium looks from the outside? Are we voting on how the field looks as it's painted? Are we voting on the traditions? Are we voting on the great games that have been played there? Are we voting on the coaches who have walked along the sidelines? I know it kind of comes down to traditions for me just because that's what I love. That's what I love looking into, and that's what separates college football from the pros for me. But I think it's different for everybody else, and that's kind of the beauty of really all of these polls. And True. I know the aesthetics are really something that we key in on too. That's something I look at and love talking about as well because if it doesn't look good, it's not as good as you think it is. It's got to look good to be good. But, man, I I can't fault you whichever way you go, honestly. This is so difficult. I hate being I, in this position. I know I know. when you go to Huntington Bake Stadium, you're going to be hearing the ski Uma chant, seeing Goldie spin his head. And, of course, I think we even got it in the picture here, the Block M uh, being spelled out by the marching band. That's – Marching band traditions are really close to my heart, too. So right. I love seeing that. And I love that that is something so ingrained in them. Obviously, when we talk about the shoe, we'll talk about Dot in the Eye at Ohio Stadium. And this is this is on that level. It's not as cool. Not as cool. But it's on that level. Gosh, as far as, like, the stadium itself, I'm going with Huntington Bank. As far as program traditions you have to consider nebraska 
I think we move on Huntington Bank here. I think we have social to. media. Uh, social media went with them, and if I'm torn, I need to lean that way. I guess is what we're <laughs> coming down to. I would legitimately be okay with either one of these winning, and if Memorial Stadium won social media poll, I'd be making the same arguments in favor of them. <laughs> so, go vote on Twitter. Is I guess is what I'm saying. We need your help. <laughs> and anybody that's here right now, we need your help right now. Ghost Falcon, that includes you. We True. see you hopped in here. But we have a tie between Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. I need to change that for the graphic. Hopefully, well, if they don't move on, I don't have to change it. Uh, going up against Bobby Dodd Stadium. I'll tell you right now where I am at. I'm with Los Angeles Memorial Stadium, Memorial Coliseum. We talked pre-show. I know where you're at. You're at Bobby Dodd Stadium. So let me hear your pitch. Why are you why are you so gung-ho about Bobby Dodd Stadium? And and this see if we can convince sound, some of our listeners to go with you as well. This is going to sound so hypocritical after what I just argued for Huntington Bank. <laughs> <laughs> you really set me up for failure here. I absolutely love Bobby Dodd's tradition and the immense history that is behind that field that was developed around that field into a full-on stadium. We're talking about some of the greatest names to ever grace the sport have touched this field. We're talking about John Heisman himself coaching games at Georgia Tech. All that happened right here. It's the same location, and that is just beautiful to me. I know we talked about with BYU, they don't have the filled-in corners. That's okay for me because of the way this stadium was constructed. Those used to be legitimately like pull-out bleachers at some point, and it became, all right, well, let's set these in the ground permanently. Let's turn this into something real. This is such a collegiate atmosphere. This is something you will never see in pro sports is what Bobby Dodd can create for you. That one end zone is filled in by an actual administrative building. That's not a front like it is for other schools. That's part of Georgia Tech's campus. Is integrated in this stadium. I love everything about what this means for college football. This is what college football is to me. Yes, Georgia Tech is downtown Atlanta, which means they are very tight on space. They have used that space so well and created something iconic in this to me. And I know most people don't talk about Bobby Dodd that way, but I just, I love everything about Bobby Dodd Stadium. And I'm so glad that it got some love on our polls. But I will admit the Coliseum's amazing. And I know you're going to talk it up. Oh, I'm going to talk about the Coliseum. I'm going to throw in one tradition for Bobby Dodd Stadium that I did find before I move and transition over to the Coliseum. And if you're here watching with us, start dropping in in the comments who you want to go with. And if you're unsure, let me try and sell you on Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum here too. But first, Bobby Dodd, the only real tradition I saw was their super fans, the good fellas, getting painted up in gold, having the crazy wigs, and just having a grand old time on the front row of the bleachers there. That's college football right there. And I, I love Absolutely. that. You know, there might not be any any big, huge, overarching tradition, at least that I could find. Never been to Bobby Dodd Stadium. But the fact that that is one that is highlighted – uh, by their own, one of their own websites, that says a lot about the culture of football, not just at Georgia Tech, but at Bobby Dodd Stadium. So, 
with that, though, that takes us to Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, and I don't know why I'm having such a hard time finding it in the notes here. Well, I do know why. It's because we got too many fucking stadiums remaining. I can't wait to start narrowing these motherfuckers down. <laughs> there we go. So I really didn't need to find this one. I just didn't want to start talking, get done talking about it, and then kind of be screwed. The first and foremost biggest tradition they have at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum that I love, absolutely love, and you see it every single time you watch a game on TV from this stadium, is the reti- the massive retired Heisman Trophy winner jerseys covering massive swaths of seats, which for a long time I thought was ridiculous. That's so many spots you could be selling, but what better way to honor those guys than with, I mean, flags are cool, but who really sees flags? Everybody sees those players' names and numbers and their jerseys every time a game is played there or is filmed there, right? You know, games games on television. Kicking the pole, something fans do on their way in. The whole game day experience around the Coliseum is a huge thing. And, of course, there's two big ones here that happen pregame. It's a big ceremony. Of course, we have stabbing the field. Who doesn't love seeing that tradition take place? And Florida State does something similar to that as well. But nothing nothing quite like seeing the Trojan riding in on his horse and throwing his uh, – I mean, what kind of sword is that? Claymore? Is that a Claymore? It's a big fucking sword. I know that. Throwing that thing. I actually don't know. That's a good question. Throwing that thing into the dirt or the grass, rather, at center, at midfield. Man, that is, that's college football. And what else does that mascot do? He lights the torch because, oh, yeah, by the way, this stadium has hosted the Olympic opening ceremonies in LA before. There's a lot of history here that expands past college football. Now, how does that relate to it being a college football stadium? They've continued the tradition of lighting the torch. So even though it's part of the past of the stadium, it is now very much central to the college football game day experience at Los Angeles Memorial Stadium. There have been some great moments here too. All right, we talk about some of the great moments at the Rose Bowl. You've got two cathedrals of college football in L.A. at the two biggest schools in L.A., at the two biggest schools going to join the Big Ten. The fact right. that this stadium is going to be in the Big Ten is insane to me. Wild. Right. So, man, <sighs> I, if you're if you're out there listening, you're out there watching, we need your help right now because I don't know. I don't know if I convince you any, Doug. How you, how you feeling? In my head, I know you're right. <laughs> I love Bobby Dodd so much. And if they were going against – 90% anybody of the else. other stadiums in this bracket. Anybody I would 100% get them to move on here. You can't beat out the Coliseum in round one. I mean, come on. This is a – it's literally called the Coliseum. It is a just wow. A wow of a stadium. Georgia Tech has done something here that is pure football spirit. USC has done something here that's like a just absolute cathedral of the religion that we're addicted to here. It is college football. It is. You can't have this Coliseum without first having a Bobby Dodd, though. And I just hope people remember that as we move on in this bracket and the Coliseum's moving on here. 
Hey, and you know, uh, I think people, I think people notice that and realize it on the poll. That's why we're in this deadlock to begin with. Which I appreciate. Thank you, thank you, people. <laughs> we haven't had, has to move on. It has to. We haven't had a meme <laughs> happen in this bracket yet. Where what's going on? We have we've been do, running this bracket for too many weeks to not have somebody try and meme their way or meme their stadium to a victory here. I mean, it almost happened with Utah, but Tug and I vetoed it. So <laughs> Bryce Eccles is trash. <laughs> but speaking of the next upcoming votes, we have four more matchups that we're going to be talking about next week. So make sure you get your votes on these polls very soon. First up is Neyland Stadium up against Amon G. Carter Stadium. That's wow. Tennessee versus TCU. <laughs> One of the biggest stadiums in the world versus one of the smallest stadiums in Power <laughs> 5 college football. Good and luck. I'm sorry to bring this up, but I just found out today something that does help Neyland Stadium. They're bringing back the big V-O-L-S signs around the top of the stadium that just looks awesome, and it's very iconic college football. So, <laughs> Sorry, Gross. TCU, but you're going against Neyland. And then next we have Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Up against Jones AT&T Stadium, the least inspired name of all. So that's Ole Miss against Texas Tech here. And actually, a little bit of two traditional be... stadiums. One is definitely bigger than the other, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, this, I think it's going to be tougher to call, though, than it than it might look at the onset. And True. At least in my opinion. I'm not the only no. vote that matters, though. Go vote. Not by name, though. Tell you what, Jones AT&T, come on. You can do better than that. (laughs) Next up, we have Jordan Hare Stadium up against Stanford Stadium. Two very traditional, very iconic-looking stadiums to me. I know people can't stand the Pac-12, don't watch the Pac-12. Stanford's stadium is something special to me, too, though. And, I mean, come on, it's Jordan Hare. Well, it looks like a block O, so I, I think I figured out. I cracked the code there. Fair. That's the only squared off corners that I respect. Uh, <laughs> and the last matchup that we are talking about here, and the last matchup that we'll have on our polls this coming weekend, is the University of Arkansas versus University of Arizona. That's Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. What a mm, name. Love it. Up against Arizona Stadium. What a name. <laughs> I... I'm trying very hard to get to a Razorbacks game this season. I wish I could get there before any of their matchups. I could give them more in-person review. Uh, That unfortunately is not going to be the case, but man. Well, drive on down there tomorrow. (laughs) Don't you have another day off somewhere in there? I might. I might, I I might have a day off before we record again. I might have to go see if I can get a tour real quick. Tell you where I'm not going though is Arizona Stadium. I'm sorry if that tips my hand, but whew, let's. <laughs> it is too fucking hot to exist in Arizona. It is a sign of man, man's arrogance, as uh, Bobby Hill would say, and it, I am not 100%, for it. Hundred percent. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's all the time we have for our show, which is you know saying something because we've been talking for an hour and fifty minutes. So we spent a good amount of time talking about the American though. Let's not sell ourselves short here. We certainly did. And that was a very fun conversation too. I love talking about these college football conferences coming up very soon. We will be talking about some NFL divisions as well. I have to 
figure out a way to divide our time a little bit better because man two and a half hours on a podcast gonna be a little bit rough but uh that's starting very soon i think you're right bug we should get those schedules out on social media get people interested tune in whatever episode you want to be hearing uh this was the american but next week we're starting up the power five and very soon we should be starting some nfl division previews as well in kind of the same fashion so Stay tuned for that, folks, and check out our social medias to find those schedules. I know I've been shouting them out throughout the show. If you have not heard them already, go check the description if you're listening on audio because they'll all be posted. Those links will be in, also, in the description as well. And I just you're tried to say live, that like three different ways at the same time. If you're watching live, <laughs> they've been scrolling across the bottom the entire time. Yes. So please, please, please be sure to check them out as uh, as you can. I think that's all I got, though, man. Are you ready to close us out? I think so. So, uh, you know, leprosy, it's a horrible disease. But you know why lepers have such a hard time hiding? Because they're always spotted. That makes a lot of sense to me. I approve this message. (laughs) (laughs) We doing Tug's thing? Fuck no. Get me (laughs) off here. (laughs) Peace out, Girl Scout. We will see y'all next week. Have a good one.